you have your Bibles, would you open them please to the book of Jonah? Now I know some of you don't know where Jonah is, so just turn to Obadiah. And you'll find the book of Jonah right next door. On Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series entitled, The Prophets Speak. The Prophets Speak. And the title of our message this morning is, When a Nation Repents. When a Nation Repents. And we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 and verse 10 for our scripture reading. And we read in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city, which was a day's journey. And as he went into the city, he cried, he preached. And his message was, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown or destroyed. So the people of Nineveh believed Jonah, and they believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and put on the sackcloth of repentance, from the greatest of them the king, to the least of them the paupers. Verse 10, And God saw their works. He saw their faith that they were placing in Him. He saw their repentance from sin, that they turned from their evil way. And God held back, his wrath that he was going to pour out on them. And he did it not. Most of the time, by and large, when God sent a prophet to confront a king, when God sent a prophet to warn a nation, when God sent a prophet to call a people to himself, he sent them to the nation of Israel. He sent them to the Hebrew people. 99% of the time when God sent a prophet to speak to a king, to speak to a nation, to speak to a people, He sent that prophet to the nation of Israel and to the Hebrew people. Why? Because judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins among the people of God. God's focus was on His nation, Israel. God's focus was on His people, the Hebrews. But in the book of Jonah, we see something that is unusual. We see that 1% of the time when God does something a little bit different. God, in His grace and in His mercy, His grace toward all nations, His mercy toward all men, sends Jonah to Assyria. He sends him to carry a message to the capital city of Nineveh and to the people there who are Assyrians. God doesn't do that often, but He did it here. Why? Because the God desires all people to be saved. It's not God's will that any man should perish but that all men should come to a saving faith. Now, I want you to understand something about the Assyrians. Assyria, which was the nation. Nineveh, which was the capital city. The Assyrians are pagans. They are brutally barbaric in how they treat their enemies 
and the ones that they capture in the fields of battle. They are the ISIS of their day. They're savage, they're cruel, they're demented, they're sadistic, they're perverted. They, they abuse people. They murder people. That's who they were. That's what they were about. That was the reputation of Assyria and the Assyrians in Jonah's day. And it's to this nation, it's to these people, that God speaks to Jonah. And he says, I want you to go to them. I want you to go to their capital city. I want you to speak to their nation. And I want you to tell them the gospel, the good news, that they can be saved. Now Jonah's response to God is to run. He didn't say, yes, sir. He said, no, sir. And he took off a running. In many ways, Jonah is a man on the run. That'd make a good song, wouldn't it? And we're going to look at the, the word run or running, if you will, to build our outline on the entire book of Jonah. Because what we're going to see this morning is the greatest revival that ever took place in history. The greatest evangelistic service that ever took place that we know of since the beginning of time. And Jonah's going to be part of it, reluctantly, but he's going to be part of it. So let's begin by looking at the first of our points. And it's going to be Jonah running for God. Jonah running for God. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Just flip over one page. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God spoke to Jonah, who was the son of Amittai. And God said to Jonah, Arise, get up, go to the city of Nineveh, that great city of size, that great city of sin, and I want you to preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness is filling my nostrils with their foul sin. Now, I want you to understand something about Jonah as we talk about Jonah running for God. Jonah, in many ways, was the Billy Graham of his day. He wasn't just an ordinary, average prophet. He wasn't a run-of-the-mill preacher. He was a man that was mightily used by God. He was a man that was spiritually successful for God. He was a man who was a highly popular prophet in his day. Everybody knew who Jonah was. What I'm trying to get you to understand is, Jonah was the best that God had at that time. He was a future Hall of Famer and Heaven's Hall of Fame. And God says to Jonah, I want you to leave the nation of Israel where you've been all your life. I want you to leave speaking to the kings of Israel. I want you to leave for a while speaking to the Hebrew people. 
I want to send you to Assyria. I want you to send you specifically to Nineveh. And I want you to preach. Take a word from me to the Assyrians, the Ninevites. Wow. Now, I want you to understand as great as Jonah is, as mighty as Jonah is, as close to God as he's been, Jonah is still just a man. He can't fly. He's not faster than a speeding bullet. He's not more powerful than a locomotive. He can't leap tall buildings at a single bound. He's not Superman. He's just a man. And God calls him to go. And he has a problem with that. You see, Jonah, like all of us, has flaws. He has faults. He has shortcomings. He has sins. And these things affect his ministry. And these things affect his life and could even affect his future reward. What is Jonah's flaw? What is Jonah's fault? What is his shortcoming? What is his sin? That is going to cause him when God says go, he says no. Well, that sin is prejudice. Not just prejudice, hateful prejudice. You see, he's a passionate Hebrew. He has no use for anybody who's not a Hebrew. He's an Israeli zealot. He has no use for anybody that's non-Israeli. And Jonah's mind, if you're not a Hebrew, if you're not an Israelite, you're an outcast, you're a deplorable, you're a barbarian who deserves to die and go to hell. That's what he would tell you. I am called to the nation of Israel. I am a Hebrew and I speak to Hebrew people. I do not go to any other nation. I do not speak to any other people. They're pagans, they're barbarians, they're savages. They don't deserve God's grace and mercy. They deserve to perish. And that was his attitude. Now you see... While he was serving God in Israel, you couldn't see that prejudice. When he was serving God by ministering to the Hebrews, you couldn't see that bias. But now God is going to reveal to him something in his own heart. Because that's what God does, doesn't he? He takes what we do in the dark and he brings it to the light. He takes what we try to suppress on the inside and he reveals it on the outside. And Jonah is now going to see a side of him perhaps that he's never wanted to face before. The people of Israel are going to see a side of Jonah that perhaps they had never seen before out of this Billy Graham of their day. It's a man who's intensely prejudiced who's extremely biased toward anybody who's not of Israel, toward anybody who's not a Hebrew. Now Jonah, like most of us, is very good at rationalizing why he sins. 
We're pretty good at it, aren't we? Yeah, we've got a problem with sin, but let us tell you why we have that problem. Because there certainly is a justifiable reason why I do what I do. And you do what you do. And Jonah did what he did. If you were to ask Jonah, Jonah, why are you so prejudiced against the Assyrians? He would probably say, well, the Assyrians are evil. They commit atrocities against the people that, that they face in battle. They commit atrocities, unspeakable, torturous, tormenting things to people that they capture. They're evil. They don't deserve to be forgiven. They deserve the wrath of God. Then he would tell you this. He'd say, well, listen, I might be prejudiced, but the Assyrians aren't interested in the message that God wants me to send anyway. Why should I go all the way to Assyria? Why should I spend my time among these savage, barbaric people? Because they're not going to listen anyway. They don't give grace and mercy. They don't want no grace and mercy. It'd be wasting my time, my, my effort, and my money for me to go there. Then he would probably say to you something like this. God has a chosen nation, and it's Israel, and he don't care about the other nations. God has a chosen people, it's the Hebrews, and he don't care about these other people. God has already made up his mind what nation he's going to save. God has already made up his mind what people he's going to save. There's already chosen people. The rest of them are going to die and go to hell. Why should I have to go there and waste my time? Just so God can put on a charade, offering something that he isn't going to give anyway. Oh, see, Jonah has the, the excuses. He's got the, the rationale, the logic, if you will, but it still comes out that he's prejudiced. I mean, that's really the bottom line. He's prejudiced against all nations and all people. They're not of Israel or the Hebrews. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because out of the seeds of prejudice, if you water those seeds and fertilize those seeds and nurture those seeds you're going to get the fruit of genocide, enslavement, cruelty, and the denial of the gospel. You see, all of us are prejudiced here. Prejudice is not just a white problem. It's not a, just a black problem. It's not just a red problem. It's not just a yellow problem. It's not just a green problem if you're a Martian. It's an every color, every person problem. And sometimes it has nothing to do with color. Prejudice can be about money. It can be about religion. It can be about this. It can be about that. And Jonah was a prejudiced man. And if those seeds of prejudice are allowed to remain in his life, he one day might commit genocide against another race. Do you know that Nazism began with prejudice? The Aryans believed that they were superior people to all other peoples of the world. And because they were superior people, 
all the other people of the world were doormats for them to walk over. That's why they could justifiably in their own mind kill six to seven to eight million people just because they weren't Aryan. The German people, the Nazi German people, call the Jewish people and the Gypsy people and the Slavic people, you know what they called them? Vermin. Human rats for extermination. Well, how did it get that way? Because they were prejudiced. And the prejudice grew. What does ISIS do in the Middle East to those that they capture? They enslave them and treat them brutally and horribly, and then they end up killing them anyway. You know why? Because they're prejudiced. They believe that their religion is superior to all other religions. So if you have another religion or no religion, you are an inferior, you're an infidel, and you have no rights in their eyes except to die. It all begins with prejudice. The Japanese in World War II and World War II committed atrocities against the Chinese people and the Korean people and Americans when they captured them. You know why? Because they believed that their race was superior to all other races. Are you kind of getting the, the, the gist of this? When you allow prejudice just to sit in your mind and heart and through the time and you water it, you fertilize it with hatred and cruelty and evil. What you get is a Nazi Germany. What you get is an imperial Japan. What you get is ISIS. And Jonah is having to deal with prejudice because he doesn't want to take the gospel to the Assyrian people. They don't deserve to be saved. They're vermin. They're infidels. They're inferiors. That's what he thought. You got prejudice in your mind and heart, you better deal with it. Because one day the fruit that comes out of those seeds that have been planted in you is going to be awful. Jonah running for God. We start out, he's running for God. He's God's servant. But now I want you to notice in verse 3, he begins running from God. He got the call to go. But the prejudice and the bias that is within him will not allow him to go. So it says in verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus, paid his ticket, went down into the boat, headed toward Tarsus, thinking he was going to flee the presence of the Lord. Jonah, go. No, God, I won't go. And furthermore, God, I'm leaving. I'm sailing to Spain. I'm out of here. I'm not going to Assyria. I'm not going to the Assyrians. To Hades with them. I'm leaving. Now, you know, Jonah was a smart man. But smart people, when they have a sin in their life they don't want to deal with, can become foolish people. 
I mean, after all, y'all help me. You're a smart crowd here. If you fight with God, you're going to what? Very good. If you run from God, he's going he's gonna to catch you. You're not strong enough to fight with God. You're not swift enough to outrun God. And Jonah knew that, but what's Jonah going to do? Fight with God and run from God. He's like us. Sometimes he forgets what he can do and can't do. Now, we've already taken the offering this morning, so I'm going to go from preaching to meddling just a little bit. The offering's in the safe. You can't get it back. I want to ask you a question. If I may, ask me a question. Are we running from God this morning? Has God said something to you? Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was months ago, weeks ago. Maybe it was just a few days ago. Has God spoken to you? You know, he does speak today. Has he spoken to you or me and told us to do something and we have said no? Oh, maybe we weren't quite as verbal as Jonah. We said no. 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 Has God spoken to you and you're running from him right now? Oh, you're here, but you're running. Has he said to you to get saved? And you won't get saved? You won't do it. You don't know why you won't do it. You're just not going to do it. Has God spoke to you about forgiving someone? You've been hanging on to a hurt for a long time. And God says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Forget about, forgive what they said or done to you. And you won't do it. Has God called you to serve? Has he spoken to some of you ladies about working in the nurseries? Has he spoken to some of you men about being ushers? Has he spoken to some of you about other places in the church? You could serve and you say no. Has he spoken to you about tithing? Not throwing him the change you got in your pocket, but actually having a planned method of giving where you give God what's rightly his every month. And you won't do it. Has he spoken to you about witnessing? And you won't do it. Has he spoken to you about teaching vacation Bible school or in the Iwana program or in Sunday school? And you won't do it. Has he spoken to you about baptism? If you're saved, you should be scripturally baptized and you won't do it. Has he spoken to you about joining the church, becoming a member of the church, and you won't do it? Has he spoken to you about a sin that's in your life? And you won't give it up. Jonah was hard-headed. He was stubborn. And he's going to run from God because he doesn't want to obey what God is telling him. Are we like that? I just wonder this morning, are we like that? Has God spoken to us and we just blow him off and we're running? You can run on for a long time, says the old gospel song. But one day, God Almighty is going to cut you down. Jonah's running for God, 
in service. And then he's running from God in disobedience. He isn't going to do what God said. Ain't going to do it. Then I want you to notice in verse 4. He's now going to run into God. Okay? Now remember, this isn't just a story about Jonah. Who's it a story about? Hold your finger up. Your finger's up. Now point at you. You got it. Okay? Jonah's out to run into God. It says in verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. That word great wind means a typhoon. 100 mile an hour winds or more. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea. That means they were huge waves, tidal waves forming out in the water where they're at. 15, 20, 25 foot high waves. It's a little scary, don't you think? Absolutely. So that the ship was likely to be broken in two. Even the mariners were afraid, it says in verse 5. Jonah ran, but God catches him on the high seas. God catches him in a vicious storm where the winds are howling and the waves are surging. Now, most of you know the story. Jonah's not an unfamiliar story. Most of you know that he's going to be tossed out of the ship. He's going to go into this ocean that is swirling from the winds and the waves He's going to sink to the bottom of the water. He's just going to head down like a stone would be when it's thrown into a pond. He's heading down. He's going to come close to death. Some people believe he may have even died. But he's going to be close to death or at death. And then something happens. God saves him. The God who orchestrated him going over the side. The God who had him sink to the bottom. The God who has him filling up with water in his lungs to the point of death. God arranges for a whale or a great fish to come. And that fish swallows Jonah. And for the next 72 hours, Jonah is going to be in the belly of the great fish or the whale. Now later that whale is going to spit a backslidden prophet up on the shores of Nineveh. Even that whale couldn't digest that grisly prophet. It's interesting. Jonah's running from God. Whale comes and takes him right where God wanted to send him. Spits him out on the beaches of Nineveh. Now, you can imagine he probably looked a little strange. Probably had seaweed all over. Probably didn't have a stitch of clothes on. The gastric juices of that giant whale probably took every bit of hair off his body. And some people believe that he was a putrid yellow color from the gastric juices that changed his skin color. But there he is at the resort area of Nineveh. No clothes, yellow, seaweed all over him and not a hair on his body. What a sight to see. And now God is going to send him, as he said before, to where? To Nineveh. Jonah, 
for the second time, I'm telling you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, yes, sir. He's not excited. He's not euphoric. He's not happy. He's just begrudgingly following orders because he knows if he doesn't, God will have something else for him. God's not going to let Jonah get away. And he's not going to let you or I get away either. If you're a child of God and you tell him no, and you start running from him because you don't want to do what he's told you to do, he will catch you. He may not catch you today. He may not catch you tomorrow, next week, next month. But listen to your pastor. He will catch you. And when he catches you, he's going to recommission you to do the same thing he told you the first time. He's going to bring you back to where you started and give you the same orders. And that's what he does with Jonah. The God of heaven is not going to let his children go. He will come after us. He will bring us back. And he will give us another chance. Or another chance. Or another chance. But he's going to get it done. Many years ago, there was a blind pastor. He pastored a small church. He didn't make a lot of money. He was very insecure about himself because he couldn't see. He perceived himself to be ugly. But he met a girl who could see. And the way that she talked to him made him feel so good. The way she touched him made him feel so loved. And from everybody's comments, she was a beautiful girl. Far better than he deserved in his mind. They were engaged to be married, and about a week before the wedding, this girl decided she couldn't go through with it. She didn't want to be married to a blind man. She didn't want to be married to a blind pastor. She couldn't see that the rest of her life. So she canceled the wedding and left him. Well, this blind pastor went into a deep depression, went into the, the valley of darkness. He thought he had nothing to live for. His everything had just walked away. So he hires a taxi in his day to take him to a bridge. And there at that bridge, he's going to jump off that bridge and drown himself in the water below. The taxi comes, picks him up. But there's a heavy fog that's rolling in. And the taxi driver gets confused. He doesn't normally get confused, but he got confused in the fog. And what should have been a 15-minute ride to the bridge took almost two and a half hours, and the taxi driver finally said, Listen, I, I'm disoriented. I don't know where this bridge is. I can't even see. You're going to have to get out. I'm going home. So he lets the blind pastor out. He was going to drown himself right off where he picked him up. So the blind pastor's right back where he started. He decides he's going to shoot himself. So he gets a gun. Pulls the trigger, but nothing comes out. Pulls it again, nothing comes out. Third time, it jams and it won't pull no more. He decides then he's going to hang himself. 
He has nothing to live for. The girl of his love, the girl of his life is gone. Puts a rope around his neck. Jumps off the chair and the rope breaks. Finally, he says, I'm going to take some poison. That'll do it. So he gets some poison, drinks it down. 30 seconds later, his stomach brings it all back up. Tries to take his own life, and he can't do it. You know why? Because God wouldn't let him. Being confident of this very thing, he that begins the work in us will continue the work in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't you never forget, God isn't going to let you go, and God isn't going to let you down. You're not going to run from God and get away. He's going to keep you, and he's going to bring you back. Running for God. Jonah was serving God when he gets the orders to do something he don't want to do. So Jonah begins to run from God in disobedience. And then he finds that he can't outrun God because he runs into God in a chastening called a storm. Now, very quickly, he's going to be running with God. Because in chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 and verse 10 that we read earlier, Jonah now is in Nineveh. He's got a message to preach in Nineveh. The message is eight words. And he repeats the message over and over and over. He's a broken record in a day when there is no records. What's his message? God said, I want you to go and preach to those people. What's the message? Yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed, overthrown. That was the message. Some of you think that I preach too short sometimes. Some of you think I preach too long sometimes. But I do try to change up the message every now and then. Jonah's message is the same. He walks down Broad Street. He walks down Central Avenue. He walks down Main Street. He walks down 2nd, 3rd, 5th Street, or whatever it's called. And his message doesn't change. He's a one-man record. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. It says in verse 4 that when he began to preach that message, the people listened. Verse 5, they not only listened, they believed what he had to say. They also believed in the God who sent him to say it. And they put on sackcloth, which is a which is a symbolic gesture of repentance. We put our faith in this God of Jonah. We don't know this God of Jonah, but we put our faith in him, and we repent of our sin and give our lives to him. Listen. According to people who study populations, Geographics, over one million people got saved in Assyria, in Nineveh, of Assyrian race. One million people 
pass from death unto life, from hell unto heaven, from the dead to the living, from worshiping pagans to worshiping the living God, from being Assyrians to being sons and daughters of the Most High. Jonah had the privilege of preaching the greatest evangelistic campaign this world has ever seen. Revival broke out. The whole city was turned upside down and inside out. Wow. What? We've never seen anything like that. Say, Pastor, how did it happen? Because the people responded to God's word. It could happen today if we would respond to God's word. It could happen to America if we would respond to God's word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. They heard. They were convicted of their sin by the spirit of God. They called upon the Lord. The Assyrians called upon the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord should be saved. They placed their faith in Christ. They repented of their sin. And God saved them. That's the way it worked then. That's the way it works now. God saved them. You see, they didn't know a lot about the Bible. All they knew is they were sinners and he was a saving God. All they know is they deserved wrath, but he's a God of grace and mercy. And they called upon his love, his grace, his mercy, his salvation. And God gave it. Aren't you glad God does that? You ought to be, because you wouldn't be saved if he didn't. 1979, Columbia, South Carolina. There's a young man sitting on the floor of a cell on death row whose name is Rusty Woomer. Rusty began a crime spree in Cottageville, South Carolina. It took him all the way to the PD. In that crime spree, he raped, he murdered. He did so with absolutely cold callousness toward his victims. He got caught. He was convicted in a court of law. He was sentenced to die in the electric chair of the state of South Carolina. As he was sitting on death row in his cell. As he was sitting in a cell whose floor was covered with human waste. As he was sitting in a floor that was covered with pornography. Bathroom tissue, both new and used. Old newspapers. Rotting food. As he's sitting there in a fetal position, curled up next to that cell bars. As he sits there with his hair matted and greasy from weeks of not being washed. As he sits there with clothes that are dirty and filled with a stench that will make you throw up. As he sits there with his eyes black as a desert night at midnight. As his speech is slurred. As Rusty Woomer, a piece of human excrement, waiting to be killed. As he sits there, a gentleman who is doing a prison ministry there, Bob McAllister, stops and looks at this piece of man 
He said, God loves you. God loves you. And God wants to forgive you. And God wants to save you. Call upon the name of Jesus and give Him your life and you can be saved. The young man makes no response whatsoever. None. Bob McAllister leaves death row that day feeling like he may have planted a seed, but nothing happened. He comes back several days later and he's shocked at what he sees. Rusty Woomer's cell is completely clean. No more papers, no more rotting food, no more pornography, no more toilet tissue, no more human waste. The floor is spotless. The young man's hair has been washed and it's combed back neatly. He is shaved. His eyes that said nothing but darkness and death now have light and life. He's got new clothes on. His smell is presentable. And his speech is civil and courteous and cordial as he thanks Bob McAllister for introducing him to Jesus. Rusty Woomer underwent a transformation that shocked everybody on death row. And he would live that transformed life until the day he would die in 1990 in the state electric chair for his crimes. And he never argued about his deserving the death sentence. He said, I did the crime. I must pay the price. But he lived for Jesus. You see, God specializes in saving people that we don't believe need to be saved. He saved the Assyrians, and he saved Rusty Woomer, and he saved you, and he saved me. Lastly, and we're through, we see Jonah running for God in service, running from God in disobedience, running into God in chastening, running with God in the greatest revival this world has ever seen. In chapter 4, verse 1, we close by seeing him running against God again. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. When over a million Assyrians got saved, they responded to his message. Jonah was exceedingly happy. It don't say that, does it? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people saved, and he still preaches it. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted them to reject the message and perish. But God saw otherwise. And now he's mad about it all. Now the question that you might ask as we close out this message is, Pastor, would Jonah stay mad? I don't know. Would Jonah stay angry? I don't know. Would he stay full of prejudice and bias? I don't know. 
You say, Pastor, you don't know much. You're right, I don't. But let me tell you what I do know. I know this, that God loved Jonah. With all of his flaws and faults, Jonah was a son of God. And God loved Jonah. And God loves a lot of other Jonas, don't he? And God loved the Assyrians. That savage, cruel, barbaric people. Pagans with a capital P. God loved the Assyrians. God loved Jonah. God loved the Assyrians. I know that. And God loves you. And God loves me. And God loves all men. Red or yellow, black or white, they're all precious in His sight. For God so loved the people of the world that He gave His only beloved begotten Son, whose name is Christ Jesus, that if we would but believe in Him, put our faith in Him, repent of our sin, we would not perish in a devil's hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. It's a whosoever will gospel. We know that God wants to save all men. I know there's some theologies floating around out there who question that, but I tell you what, God wants to save all men. And God wants to use you and I to do it. So the story of Jonah is just a story about us. How God can take flawed people that have problems and issues and sin and sometimes can be rebellious and sometimes can run from Him. How God can run us down. How God can catch us. How God can put a little whooping on us. And God can re uh, recall us to what He called us to do the first time. And even though we may not want to do it, God will use it for His glory and for the good of other people. See, God does that. Remember fish? Find somebody that needs Jesus. How many do you need to find? Pray for that person every single day by name. Involve yourself in their life. I. Become their friend. Learn something about them. Soul winning, winning people to Jesus isn't about walking around trying to put a notch on our belt so we can talk, tell everybody, look what I did. It's about developing relationships. Befriending people. People don't care how much we know till they know how much we care. It's not about jamming Jesus down somebody's throat. But it's about building a relationship with people. And then S, find that person. Pray for that person every day. Involve yourself in that person's life as much as you can. Then share Jesus with that person. Somewhere along the line, talk to them about your Savior. Be you. Listen to me. Be you. You don't have to, to witness like I do. You can't because you're not me. And I can't witness like you. I'm not you. We, are, we, we try to teach soul winning methods. Well, listen, 
It ought to just come natural. When you bump into somebody, you ought to spill out Jesus naturally. Peter was himself when he shared. Peter was one of those guys that got up in your face and told you like it is. And it worked for some. Paul was an intellectual when he shared Jesus. He could quote half the New Testament because he wrote it. Paul would give you 9,000 scriptures. That's the way he did it. The blind man said, listen, I don't know a whole lot. All I know was I was blind, but now I can see. What did the Samaritan woman do? She just said, listen, I don't know much about that man at the well, but if y'all will follow me, he can do for you what he did for me. And she took him to him. Took the whole town with her. And what about Simon? He got saved. He threw a house party, a block party, if you will. He said, come to my house. We'll have some beans and fiddles. We'll play some volleyball, some basketball. We'll do a little singing. And I'll tell you about Jesus. And then Dorcas, how did she share her faith? She was a seamstress. Dorcas, I need my pants hemmed. I'll hem them for you for nothing if you'll let me tell you about Jesus. You see, everybody does it differently, but we got to do it, right? And then when you do it, you just move them down the road a little bit. I don't know what people are going to say when we witness to them. They might say no, they might say yes, they might say later, who knows? But what we try to do is just keep them moving forward. That's the object in football, isn't it? Keep the ball moving what way? Forward. Don't fumble. Don't throw an interception. Just keep the ball moving forward. And that's the way it is with soul winning. Lending people to Jesus. Just keep the ball moving forward. Someday they're going to, maybe they'll score and come to know the Savior. Heads are bowed tonight.